Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 55? That's right. That's what this is. This is, uh, you know, you, years ago, I don't know if they still do this or not. Years ago, they used to have choir, comp- no, well, was it competitions or just, it was a competition in the minds of the music directors, whether anybody else thought so or not. But they never had a preach off. Have you ever heard of a, <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> it would seem to sort of go against the, uh, the, the, the whole New Testament, yeah. Uh, you'd have to be like uh, Chip and Dale, is it? Oh, please, you take the pulpit. Oh, no, I defer to you. Please, you take the pulpit. Or something like that. You had to have been there. You had to grow up in my day to appreciate those uh, loony tunes. Psalm 55, there's a background to this. The background, and we haven't gotten there yet. We just finished 2 Samuel 15. Obviously, next one is 16. Then 17. And 2 Samuel 17 is the background of this. But to summarize, Absalom at, at the point of 2 Samuel 17 and at the point of this psalm, Absalom has taken control of the army of Israel, except for the hundreds that are following David. But there's no comparison numerically. However, that has never really mattered to David. But David, by 2 Samuel 17, is in full flight. He is, he is hiding in caves and the people that are with him, they are trying to avoid literally being slaughtered. When you read 2 Samuel 17, you'll see that Absalom and his uh, counselors are talking about the, the, the total destruction of David and his followers. No one's going to kill him, just do away with him. So Absalom, at the point of 2 Samuel 17, is wondering what to do next. <coughs> and Ahithophel, you may remember he was David's counselor and David told him to stay behind and maybe he could provide intel and just serve Absalom as his counselor. Well, by the time you get to 2 Samuel 17, it seems as though Ahithophel has more or less betrayed David. But Absalom is wanting to know what to do to complete the task of rooting out David and his influence. So... Ahithophel gives him a certain counsel. But there's another Gahushai who gives different counsel. Ahithophel is, says, we don't need a big, a big group. We, we just need about, give me 12,000 men and I'll take care of it. Hushai says, no, call in all the armies from everywhere. Thousands and thousands of soldiers, and let's just totally obliterate him. Scorched earth policy. And Absalom says that uh, he liked Hushai's advice, counsel. Now, David is still receiving 
entail from the sons of the, the high priest, you know, the, the priest that he left behind, Zadok. And these guys are still telling him what's going on. So it becomes obvious then that David knows they literally intend to hunt him down and just kill him and kill all of his followers and be done with it. Absalom, at this point, has the major part of the army. He has, a, he has, he has solidified his court by this time, but the people are divided especially in the city of Jerusalem. It comes to light apparently that Absalom believes everything that people tell him. And so he's pretty much fallen in love with himself. You know, he can't pass a mirror without kissing himself. So Absalom is not keeping a firm grip on the domestic situation. Things are getting worse in Jerusalem because Absalom is not a strong leader and maybe half the city just doesn't accept him as the leader. So internally, things are really getting serious. They're, they're falling apart. David then is out there hiding gets the information back from those that are listening and still loyal to David that this council is coming to Absalom. And Absalom's just going to go out there and take care of business. So it's in that vein, it's against that backdrop that David prays this prayer, offers this prayer that becomes a, a song Remember, I've told you at some point in time that these desperate psalms that start off in desperation begin with desperate pleadings of the Lord. And in the course of his prayer, now, I, let me back up. These prayers are divinely inspired. This is the divinely inspired word of God. God is sovereign. He places the prayer in David's heart. So David starts out as he does in many of these Psalms where he's in hiding or running or whatever in trouble. Starts in, in desperate voice and uh, expresses fear and sometimes, not, not in this Psalm, but sometimes he even offers a, a mild complaint about, you know, why did you let me get in this mess? As the psalm flows through, in the course of praying, David is strengthened. I don't know that anybody ever gets a, a sincere worshiper of God, child of God. I don't know of anybody who ever gets up from prayer feeling worse than he did when he first knelt down in prayer. David begins to be strengthened in the course of of the prayer, and then by the end of this prayer, this psalm, he expresses complete confidence and resolution in what Yahweh is going to do for him. I, it's, I call it fight or flight. What you going to do? Frankly, David doesn't either. <laughs> what? 
he could, you know, he was a man of war. God willing, if we come to 2 Samuel 17 in a couple of weeks, you will see that there's back and forth on the council. We're just going to go out there like crazed maniacs and just, just start marching until we find him. And another, uh, uh, Hoshea himself, I think, says, hey, David's a warrior. And these guys with him, we may outnumber them, but they're not slouches either. And we're going to have to be careful on how we approach this guy. So here is David, the warrior, the king, who has been betrayed and treason has been committed, conspiracy, evil, running away from his own son who has become his enemy, having temporarily given up his throne. The question is, do I run or do I fight? We'll see what, we'll see what Yahweh giving him this prayer tells him how to handle it in his thought process. How the will of Yahweh is always stronger than the will of man. And he brings us around to his will. This is a way of God, a sovereign God. First of all, David's complaint. For the conductor, for the leader on stringed instruments, a contemplative song, a masculine of David. Now, again, my numbers are probably, I think verses one and two might be verse one in your Bible. I don't know, but in the Hebrew it's like this. So I'll be, I may be one verse ahead of you. After verses one and two, incline your ear, Elohim, to my prayer and do not disregard my supplication. Now, a supplication, of course, a prayer, the first word is a general word for prayer, but the second word is a specific plea. This is a specific need for which I pray. Now he gets really, really serious with Elohim, calls him God, Elohim. Incline your, listen to me, to my prayer. Don't overlook this one. This one's a biggie. (laughs) I need help. Hearken to me and answer me. I lament in my speech and I moan. The, the, the flow of the language means that he is restless. He needs an answer. In times past, he would ask something like, shall I attack the Philistines or shall I not? Generally, Yahweh would say, yes, I've given them into your hand. You attack them. This is a different setting, but he still appeals to God. Hearken to me, answer me. I lament in my speech. I moan, I'm restless. I don't know what to do. From the voice of the enemy because of the distress of the wicked, for they accuse me of iniquity and they hate me with a vengeance. David, in, in practically in all of his adult life, David had to deal with slander. One of the great, of course, we saw this morning, 
Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning, father of lies. One of his easiest and best weapons against the people of God would be the lies of Satan. The church has to deal with lies that are taught in schools, that are propagated even in halls of so-called halls of justice or halls of legislature, lies, lies, lies that oppose the way and will of God and oppose God. And yet Psalm 2 says, you have God in derision. God is, I don't know if I say it this way, God's laughing his head off at you because you think you can do this to God. It's working out and God knows that his people, of course, will win and that his purpose will reign supreme. But it doesn't take away from the fact that his people have to deal with falsehood, slander, false accusations, lies that are hurled at the people of God, at the word of God, at the church of the Lord Jesus. Always, David is no different, and this is something, he has, he has several psalms about this, about how people have, have lied about him, and they, the people, the evil people, his enemies, would plant these ideas in people's minds, and this would cause people to turn on David. He's facing the same thing here, the voice of the enemy, the distress of the wicked. They accuse me of iniquity. They hate me with a vengeance. What did he do wrong? One son killed another son. Rather than doing what was legally right in putting that son to death, he banished him. But then graciously listened to his son's plea for return and brought him back. And then after a space of time, even allowed him back into his court. What did he do wrong? He hasn't done anything wrong in this space of activity. Now, it all, of course, stems from the adulterous affair and the conspiracies regarding Bathsheba and her husband, murder and all these things. The prophet told David that the sword wasn't gonna leave his house. So here is how the enemy, Satan, the great enemy, handles all this. The people would at this time, of course, have known about the thing of Bathsheba would have known that one of his sons raped one of his daughters, his sister. Another son kills that son. I mean, all kinds of things. How are they going to present this? Well, I'll tell you why is, you know, I'll tell you they, David didn't put any kind of a good, of a good example before them. A lot of things they would say, I suppose, would have half truth but they would add things to it that would make David, you know, David wrote the 51st Psalm. He, he came clean with God and he gave a, a tremendous confession and prayer of repentance. And you could just, you, when you read that Psalm, you can sense his sorrow and his expression of guilt and his, his, his need and cry for forgiveness and that God would not diminish him in his service to God and wouldn't take his spirit from him, all those things. So David had done what he should have done as a child of God. He, he, he was in denial for a while until he was confronted by the prophet. 
And once God brought him into the reality of who he is and what he had done and that he is no different from anyone else regarding the law of God, David confessed and he said, that's me and I'm, I'm horrible. Now, that said, other things are said obviously about him from the voice of the enemy. They accuse him of iniquity that he hasn't committed. Maybe they were saying things about him with regard to his uh, dealings with certain kings or, or, or other matters. But the things weren't true. Yet David was in a state of weakness because his son has overwhelmed him and so much of his kingdom has turned on him. So he says to the Lord, their voices, they're accusing me of iniquity and they hate me with a vengeance. They're, they're vengeful for, toward me. And if, you, and if you want to complete that sentence, all I've done has been gracious to Absalom. My heart shudders within me, terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overcomes me. And I said, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would go into the mountains and the caves as far away as I could get from Absalom. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the desert forever. I would quickly find myself a refuge from a sweeping wind from a tempest, from this storm that's come upon me. Now here's David's heart. And I know how he feels, not just with his child, but in a situation that involves people that you have respect for or whatever, and you're going to have to deal with something that's unpleasant. You can't just let it ride. It's not ever going to solve itself. You have to, you have to face things. And too often, I, I know that I have been very reluctant, as David is here, very reluctant to face up to that. Here's what David says. I'm scared to death. The kingdom is at stake. And anything that I do will be scrutinized. And it brings me against my own son. And it, it would further create division within Jerusalem and among the people Israel who are my people and I'm their shepherd. I'm their shepherd king. I would rather do anything. I would rather run away and fly off into the caves of the mountains, into the desert as far away as I could get. If I could just avoid this thing, fight or flight. That's the question a lot of people have to ask sometimes. Fight or flight. How can I do this? I cannot do this against my own people, my own son, and those who were my friends through the years, my close advisors. I can't do this. I'm, this scares me. Even the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Now, can you imagine David, the man of God, after God's own heart, 
has this promise, this covenant promise of being the king. Well, David is far from being disabled or unable to complete his reign as king. He has not appointed an heir to the throne. None of this is right. And this seems to fly in the face of God's word. I'm scared. How can this be worked out? If I could just go hide in the farthest corner of the kingdom and be a refuge far away from this storm. Well, David, with his broken heart and in what it seems to be weakness, begins to realize that he has a responsibility. The word of God is the word of God. A covenant is a covenant, especially if it's from Yahweh. So David now in his, this is the same prayer. He follows out from weakness and he becomes stronger in his prayer. Here's what he says. Adonai, destroy them. (laughs) Divide their tongue, bring them into confusion. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. His, the city of Jerusalem is filled with riots. There's no strong, firm hand on the throne. The people are divided. Absalom, the king, is more interested in himself than he is the people. David is more interested in the people than he was himself. And he sees his kingdom being torn in half. And so he says, this can't go on. So he, he gets up from crying and he wipes his tears out. And I can just see him looking into the face of God and finally says, Adonai, master, destroy this thing. Put them into confusion. Make it so that this violence and this strife will stop. Day and night, they surround it on its walls and iniquity and sin are in its midst So the people are rioting. And in the riots, they're committing grievous sin upon one another. And there's no leadership from the king, Absalom, uh, in this situation. David, with his king's heart, cries out to Yahweh, to Adonai. And he says, destroy this, stop this. Make it stop. Put them into confusion. I see and I hear how the city walls are surrounded and people are going crazy because division has come into my people and they're divided on one side for David and on the other side for Absalom. Destruction is within it and and blows and deceit do not move out of its square. The people are violent. And they are destructive. For no enemy reviled me that I should bear it. My enemy did not open his mouth wide against me that I should hide from him. You see how David is getting emboldened. I don't have to put up with this. This is not the kind of enemy that is. No, I I haven't done anything. They've come against me with lies and slander and treason and rebellion. There's no need for me to hide from them. 
And you are a man of my eye. He speaks of those who were treasonous to him. You were a man of my equal. You were in my court, my prince and my esteemed one, that together we would devise counsel in the house of Elohim, in the house of God. We would walk with a multitude that is in the place where they worshiped in that day. May he incite death upon them. May they descend to the grave, Sheol, hell. May they descend to the grave alive, for there are evils in their dwelling and in their midst. The man of God measures the situation. He says, this can't go on. Yes, I'm scared. Yes, I don't want to face this. Yes, I would prefer to run from it, but I cannot because this is wrong. And I have to do what I have to do. So he looks at the situation and then he does what he would do as the king of Israel. This is going to have to be stamped out. Death needs to come upon them. They need to be descended into hell because they are evil. You can't just you can't just patty cake with evil. You can't do that. My daddy used to preach so much about dilly-dallying with sin. You know the old saying, it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay and take you farther than you wanted to go. The man of God, now filled with the Spirit of God as the leader of God's people, sees that he must stand up and he must do whatever he has to do to bring the city of David back together, to bring the people of God back together and bring peace to these people who themselves generally and David specifically carry the promise of the Christ. So David strengthens himself within his prayer. He started out scared and sort of anemic, but now he gets stronger. And in his prayer, you remember God is giving him, this is the word of God. God is giving him the prayer. So when David addresses his weakness, the only thing left is to turn to the strength of God. Now, I've called this fight or flight. May I add a third element? Faith. He's turning to God and he's going to call upon God to win the battle. So then here comes David's confession of faith. I shall call to Elohim and Yahweh will save me. Covenant name. I have a covenant with him. There's no way Yahweh will let this stand. This is not in keeping with his word, his will, or his way. I will call on him and Yahweh will save me. Evening, morning, and noontime, I speak and I moan. And he hearkened my voice. He redeemed my soul with peace from the battle that came upon me because of the many people who were with me. So now David is strengthened by those who are around him, but he's mainly strengthened from above because Yahweh, you know, how did David start out? Scared to death, he said, I'm horrified and I want to run away. 
But now, toward the end of his prayer, he says, Yahweh has redeemed my soul from the battle that came upon me. I'm not afraid anymore. I have no choice but to do what God has put me on this earth to do because of the people who are with me. May may God hear and answer them. And the one who dwells from of old, ancient, from time immemorial, Selah, for there is no passing for them and they did not fear Elohim. Oh, that's a tragic mistake. It's deadly to not walk in reverential awe and even fear of Elohim. So here comes the resolution in his prayer. He stretched forth his hands against him who was at peace with him. He profaned his covenant. I had nothing against them. They came against me. And when they came against me, they came against his covenant. Smooth were the buttery words. That's the best way I knew how to translate that. One guy talked about a preacher who all he did was throw sugar from one end to the other when he was supposed to be preaching. Smooth were the buttery words of his mouth, but his heart was set on war. Deceptive. His words were softer than oil, but they are curses. I'm sure we've all known people like that who were schmoozing and so easy and soft to our faces and so vicious otherwise. Cast your burden on Yahweh. And he will bear you. He'll carry you. So this is his solution. He shall never allow a righteous man to falter. But you, Elohim, shall lower them to the pit of destruction. Now that's a different, that's a phrase that's different from Sheol. Men of blood and deceit shall die as young men, but I will trust in you. So you see how David in his, you get down in prayer with a heavy burden, struggling with it, and you wrestle with yourself and bring it to the Lord, and you feel weak and afraid but in the course of that prayer, God reminds us, reminds us of his word and of his promises that he's made to us and how he has carried us through every battle and every battlefield and every situation. So as he continues in his prayer, he gets stronger and emboldened until finally he's in a state of, of worship not just thinking, but knowing that Yahweh is going to handle the situation. He couldn't, he couldn't have had, he come to a better conclusion here than to 
in the course of the prayer, take himself out of the situation and just put Yahweh in the very center of it all. And we already know Yahweh took care of it. Well, okay, we'll close, close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for prayer, for help in prayer, for sustaining us and blessing us in all of the ways of life. Teach us through this psalm of how it's not always just fight or flight, but it's faith. As we are taught carefully to cast all of our burdens on you. Father, bless us this night and use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.